the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Change makers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. The human body is designed to fight disease, and with the right fuel, this hidden power can be amplified. Today's guest, Dr. William Lee, believes that each of us has an enormous opportunity to take charge of our lives using food to transform our health. He joins us today to talk about the new science of how the body heals itself. Dr. Lee is a physician, scientist, and author of the New York Times bestseller, Eat to Beat Disease, The New Science of How Your Body Can Heal Itself. His groundbreaking work has led to the development of new medical treatments and impacts care for diseases, including cancer, diabetes, heart disease, and obesity. Dr. Lee is president and medical director of the Angiogenesis Foundation and is leading research into COVID-19. Welcome, Dr. Lee. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Joan. So, Doctor, let's begin by giving our listeners a basic 101. How does the body designed to maintain our health? You know, that's one of the questions that I asked when I went to medical school. So I'm an internal medicine doctor, which means that I um, study men and women uh, and help uh, treat men and women, uh, young and old, and healthy and sick. And when I went to medical school, one of the big questions was, uh, what is disease, of which we learned and had plenty of textbooks covering that topic. But it became much more mysterious when we asked the question, what is health? Now, most of us think about health as the absence of disease, which it is. But the absence of something is a very unsatisfying answer to something that's so important to all of us. And so my research has been really focused on trying to uh, uh, elucidate, to try to figure out why it is that we are actually healthy. And it turns out that health is not only the absence of disease, but it's the result of our body's hardwired health defense systems that formed when we were in our mother's womb and actually continue to fire in all cylinders until our very last breath. The body is a miraculous machine, and, and I'm not sure that we really understand just how powerful it is. What are the systems that work together to keep us healthy? Right. You know, we, we normally think about um, uh, things that keep us healthy are, you know, good lungs and strong muscles and sharp brain. All those things are actually important. But now science is taking us to a much deeper level where we can actually look at the cellular and molecular levels for health. And so... In, in my work, we've actually identified five health defense systems that function not only independently, but they are also interconnected, and they all work together to form a safety net for our health, and they form a shield to protect us against disease. One of those um, health defenses is angiogenesis, which is how our body grows blood vessels. Angio is blood or blood vessel, and genesis is how the body grows it. And we've got 60,000 miles worth of blood vessels that form the highways and byways for the oxygen that we breathe and the food that we eat, the nutrients that get delivered to our cells. Very important health defense. Second is our stem cells. Now, most of us uh, have heard that salamanders and starfish can regenerate, and our teachers told us in grade school that humans can't regenerate. Well, that chapter in the textbook's been thrown out. 
we do know humans regenerate with stem cells that we're born with. And those stem cells repair us from the inside out through our lives. Third is our microbiome, our gut bacteria, healthy gut bacteria. A lot has been said about it, but actually very little is still known about how our gut bacteria controls our metabolism and our healing and even our emotional health and, our, and how our brain actually works. Uh, the fourth one is our DNA, much more than a genetic code. Our DNA protects us from the environment, the ultraviolet radiation, not just in the tanning salon or you know on a beach, but even when we're sitting in traffic, um, or walking outside on a beautiful day, our DNA gets damaged by uh, the sun, and our DNA repairs itself. And radon comes from the ground, off-gassing comes from our carpet and our furniture. And then finally, our health defenses are uh, kind of capped by our immune system. And after the last couple of years, we all know just how important a, a good, strong immune system is against the viruses and bacteria. But one of the most surprising things is that a good, strong immune system can wipe out even uh, metastatic cancer. And so these five pillars form the basis for our health, and foods can actually activate them. Do these different systems need to work in harmony? What happens if one of them isn't working optimally? Yeah, such a great question. So, you know, each of these systems has been studied by itself in extraordinary depth. So think about that classic inch wide and a mile deep of research. And what I'm doing is trying to pull together how the different systems interact with one another. And I'll just give you an example. It turns out that to create new blood vessels to grow better circulation, some of those um, uh, blood vessels actually come from stem cells or stem cells actually build on that. To heal um, using blood vessels, which we need, like if you have a cut and a scab and the scab comes off, you see all this bright red bubbling stuff underneath. Those are blood vessels growing. It turns out that um, our, the health of our gut bacteria can influence how fast you heal. And then, of course, um, our immune system actually can either create more inflammation in a wound or less inflammation in a wound. And whether that wound gets infected depends on how strong our immune system is. So just using the idea of a simple cut on our hand um, or a scrape on our knee if you fall off a bike actually just tells you how these different parts of our health defenses all actually come to play even for something as a tiny cut. Most of us shovel food into our mouths throughout the day, never really thinking about it as being medicine for our body, for, for healing, whatever ails us. Just how powerful is food to our overall health, and how much power do we have in the selections we make? Well, listen, the idea of food as medicine, which is you know a very a popular concept now, actually goes back 3,000 years. So you look at the ancient cultures where, uh, that were the kind of the, the crucibles of medical research uh, and, um, and medical innovation. And let's just go back to ancient China and ancient Greece, where um, textbooks, some of the first textbooks uh, for medicine were written. Back then, there were um, no medicines. There were no pharmaceuticals. Uh, and, and the only thing that those ancient societies had was food that they knew could actually either improve their health or alternatively take it down. In other words, foods that would actually uh, be detrimental to your health. And so the, the idea of food as medicine has been around for a long time. I think that what's happened is that we are now going back into revisiting at a much deeper level, more sophisticated level, why it is that certain foods are better for our health. And with the tools that we have, uh, biomedicine that we have today, and that's really where I come from, we're able to actually do um, cellular, molecular, genomic studies to really try to get a better picture of what that is. So here's an example. Um, researchers have known for a long time that eating legumes, which is a plant-based food, beans, uh, peas, uh, are good for you. Uh, now we be are beginning to understand that uh, in, in addition to the vitamins and minerals that they, can, uh, they contain, beans, for example, uh, they actually, uh, which, you know, that's the classic uh, idea of nutrition, uh, it is there's also bioactives. These are natural substances found in plants, mostly plant-based foods, that when we eat them, act activate our body's health defense systems. Example for navy beans. Um, a study has been done looking at eating navy beans and the fiber, the dietary fiber in navy beans, feeds our gut microbiome, feeds our healthy gut bacteria, and our gut bacteria pay us back for being fed 
like a pet, by producing these uh, other molecules called short-chain fatty acids. Now, why is that important? And this is I'm, I'm describing this to show you the level of depth we've been able to get to. When gut bacteria are fed uh, dietary fiber, like from beans, they produce short-chain fatty acids that improve our metabolism, lower our blood cholesterol, speed up healing, uh, and lower inflammation in our body. And all that triggers a whole host of defensive um, uh, processes in our body so that we can better resist disease. After all, who wants more inflammation in their body? And our gut bacteria, when we feed them properly, help to control that. So, Doctor, we're understanding the importance of certain foods to to support our immune system to help us heal. But by contrast, if, if, we're, if we have a particular condition and, and we eat the quote-unquote wrong foods, are we then giving the disease the opportunity to develop faster or to even become more aggressive? Right. So by the same token that we can add foods to our body that can support and activate our health defenses, so too our research is learning that we can actually eat um, we can sometimes make bad choices in these foods that harm our health defenses. Here's an example. Um, we know that uh, added sugar, extra sugar, like the 10 teaspoons of sugar in a typical can of, of soda, um, that actually causes you know your metab- our metabolism to go haywire by just overloading our body. But now we also know that high levels of blood sugar impair Um, make it difficult for our body to grow blood vessels, stuns our stem cells, so it makes it harder for our body to regenerate, kind of poisons the ecosystem of our gut bacteria, damages our DNA, and actually sugar can actually cause inflammation and suppress protective immunity as well. So again, if you take a look at our health through the lens of these five health defenses, you can ask for any given food. Does it help? Does it hurt? Is it neutral? What do we need to ask next? Um, other things that can hurt our health defenses besides added sugar, artificial sweeteners, saturated fats, um, uh, chemical preservatives. These are just um, uh, a short list. Alcohol can also do the high levels of alcohol can also do the same thing. Short list of things that we actually know are not that good for us. And now we are beginning to understand the reasons why. So let's use cancer for an example, because that's something that so many people fear and, and it impacts so many lives. If you get a cancer diagnosis the same way a doctor would prescribe chemo or radiation. Is it a good idea, and I'll use the word prescribe for ourselves, should we be prescribing foods that will either heal or suppress the growth of the cancer? Is that a good idea? Yeah, so we know that diet actually affects cancer development. We know that there are um, uh, foods that people can eat that are not so good for us that are associated with the development of cancer, carcinogens. We also know that um, uh, certain foods uh, seem to spark the growth of cancers even faster. This has been done in the research lab for many, many years. Uh, And so the interesting question is, are there foods that we can eat to reverse or to actually treat uh, the cancer? Uh, When when you talk about food uh, uh, as an intervention for cancer, it's different than chemotherapy. Chemotherapy is non-selective. You put it in your body, it kind of um, uh, it's like a flamethrower that just burns through everything in your body, including the cancer. We are now actually having much better, more targeted, more specific treatments, including ones that activate our defenses like our immune system. But still, research is showing that the foods that we eat, these are the choices that we make uh, and the cancer patients make between the visits to the oncology center, between chemo infusions. These choices can make a big difference. Some, a couple of um, really important studies have been done over the last couple of years, including one very recently. Uh, there was one study of 826 um, uh, patients with colon cancer, stage three, very advanced, getting surgery, chemotherapy. This was conducted by 14 major cancer centers across the United States. And it found that those patients with colorectal cancer, stage three, had improved survival, 57% improved survival, if they were eating two fistfuls of tree nuts per week. That's about seven whole walnuts per week, easy to eat. And we think that it's because walnuts contain dietary fiber that activate the gut microbiome to improve your immune system. And your immune system helps the chemo, uh, helps work along with the chemo to fight the cancer. And there are substances, natural bioactives in the walnuts that actually kill colon cancer stem cells. These are the tiny little cells in a cancer that can help Uh, make it more uh, uh, difficult to eliminate. 
another recent study just came out studying 200 um, people with malignant melanoma, which is a deadly form of skin cancer. And these people are getting immune therapies that activate the body's own immune system to fight cancer, but only about 20% of people benefited. And what they wanted to find out is what's the difference between the people who benefited versus responded and didn't respond. The responders had a gut bacteria called ruminococcus. And the people who grew more ruminococcus in their gut bacteria ate more dietary fiber. How much? It turns out that for every five grams of dietary fiber that these people ate per day, that's the amount of fiber you'd find in a medium-sized pear, that there was a 30% decrease in the chance that cancer would progress and that uh, and decrease in mortality. And so very clearly, we're beginning to see what we eat not only can make us feel better, but in certain cases can actually make the difference between life and death. Doctor, you're leading the way with this charge and, and this information. And do you think it's going to trickle down to, you know, our average doctors, the people that we're seeing? Because I hear reports all the time where they're saying nutrition doesn't really play a role in health. And it, it's mind boggling to me. I actually had someone on the show. You mentioned colon cancer. He was diagnosed with colon cancer Cancer when he came out of surgery. The first meal they gave him in the hospital was a sloppy joe. So do you think this information will trickle down and go through the medical schools again? You know, we are at this inflection point right now where we're, the research and the data and the evidence is starting to snowball and accumulate so that, you know, doctors who traditionally have little to no uh, education in medical school. I, I had less than a week of nutrition education when I was in medical school many years ago. Um, and I think still, it's although it's getting a little better, it's still an area that is not adequately covered. Now, what's happening is that, uh, that uh, the people going through medical school, younger people, new generation, they're beginning to realize the importance of food. They actually care about it themselves, for themselves. And to some extent, you have to walk the walk to talk the talk and I can tell you that when I went to medical school, the stuff in the hospital cafeteria that, that the med students were eating was all fried food, all burgers, everything off the grill, very, very unhealthy. Now, if you take a look at medical schools, things are getting healthier. And the people coming out minted as doctors have a much higher level interest and motivation to learn about the power of food. So I think that we're going to see this change happening as new generations of doctors uh, emerge into clinical practice. Well, and that's exciting because if you look at what we've all been through in the past two years, everything you're teaching is the stuff that should have been shouted from all the rooftops to get us through the, the pandemic, the importance of what we can be doing to take our health back. And, and you know it's only a matter of time before we have another pandemic like we just went through. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll tell you a little anecdote about myself. I, like every, every other human on the planet, sat locked in my house at the very beginning in the spring of 2020 in March looking out the window, realizing that despite the fact that, you know, I have a lot of training and I'm even involved with biotechnology and very advanced medicine, that here was a new disease. And suddenly I realized how powerless the medical system, hospitals, doctors, pharmaceutical companies were because we had no treat We had no treatments. We had no uh, vaccines. We had no antivirals. It was nothing we could offer. And yet the one thing that became clear to me at that moment, staring out my uh, living room window, is that we all were still going to be making, regardless, decisions that were going to influence our health three times a day. And that was the foods that we all ran out to the grocery store to bring back in. And there was no more um, uh, clarity than I ever had about the importance of getting the word out about you know how what we're learning about food and the choices that we can all make. And by the way, eating for our health, you know, used to be th- used to be thought of as eliminating foods. Well, the research is showing we can lean into our food and add foods that we actually enjoy in order to be able to be healthier. And so this is about um, uh, addition, not subtraction. This is about enjoyment, um, uh, not deprivation, because human nature hates deprivation. So uh, I think that uh, one of the big lessons from the pandemic is that, you know, when humans are left to their own devices, um, uh, we still uh, – and we can't rely on the medical system, we still have our own wits and our own appetites and our own mindfulness to be able to apply to choose the foods that are good for our health, including our immunity. 
And by the way, I'm also working on now foods that actually, um, uh, it seems there's research now that shows pretty con- convincingly in the lab that there are elements in foods that can intercept the coronavirus. And so, you know, whereas we're in a different place today than we were two, three years ago when it comes to the pandemic, you're absolutely right. There could be another surge or even another virus coming down the pike. And we are now way too smart to ignore that when it comes to food. And, you know, this is just such a key message because now's the time that we can all get healthier. We, we have really been a, a pretty sick society, but this is something that we can choose to do. And, and it's through the choices we make, like you said, three times a day. We have the power to change the course of what we face down the road. That's right. Uh, completely. And, you know, and I, and I think that the uh, other interesting thing that I um, am so delighted by is that many of the foods that research is showing activate their health defenses are the ingredients that have been used in the um, food cultures uh, that go that date way back, again, Mediterranean uh, diets. By the way, the Mediterranean diet is way more than Italian food, although that's certainly part of it. <clears throat> but you've got, you know, um, dozens of countries around the Mediterranean Sea uh, and also in Asia, which is also not one country, but about 70 different countries that are out there. And these great food cultures have all used ingredients, mostly plant-based foods and healthy oils, uh, fruits and vegetables, nuts and legumes, herbs and spices, uh, to create traditions in recipes passed through the generations, many of which actually activate our health defenses. And so I think that, you know, my motto uh, has always been to love your food, to love your health. The book is Eat to Beat Disease, The New Science of How Your Body Can Heal Itself. If you'd like to get more information about Dr. Lee and his work, you can visit drwilliamlee.com. That's D-R, drwilliamlee.com. Doctor, in about 30 seconds or less, what's the takeaway? Takeaway is that we all have agency to make good, healthy choices uh, when it comes to food and our health. And many of those choices are with the ingredients that are found in recipes that are absolutely delicious. Doctor, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you feel lost on your journey to health and happiness? Then let us guide you on your path. Personalized actions towards health. Your path is a series of choices you act on every day. We guide you on a personalized journey of dietary, exercise, genetic, supplement, and lifestyle choices that lead you to optimal health and happiness. Often taking the road less traveled leads to liberation. Your path is personal. Your journey, like you, is unique. Take action today. Head to bestpathforme.com. Again, that's bestpathforme.com. An invitation to appear on a radio show or podcast provides you with the opportunity to showcase your knowledge while promoting yourself, your products, and your business. It can elevate you as an expert, boosting your reputation, but only if you make a good impression. As a producer and radio host who has conducted more than 2,000 interviews, I have experienced all kinds of conversations. Some are great and leave the audience wanting more, while others are uninteresting, significantly diminishing the guest's appearance. In my training program, It's Your Time to Shine, I provide valuable information that will empower you to make media appearances more impactful. You work hard to get the booking, so don't waste the opportunity because of a lack of skills or preparation. To learn more about how I can help you shine like a pro, visit cyacyl.com slash media training. That's cyacyl.com slash media training. we just need a little help. Our Coach On Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining us today is Nikki Ganjemi, a board-certified success and life coach and founder of Mindful Matters, LLC. Nikki helps clients remove negative emotions, limiting beliefs, and internal conflict so they can feel motivated and achieve their goals with ease. She is here today to discuss keys to achieving our goals. Welcome, Nikki. Thanks so much for coming back on the show. Hi, Joan. Thanks for having me. 
So Nikki, today you're here to talk about goal setting that can help us achieve any outcome we want. What do you believe prevents people from achieving their goals? So a couple of things I believe prevents people from achieving their goals. Uh, The first thing is that sometimes people are not crystal clear on what they want. They think that there's a certain outcome that they should have at this point in their life or in their career. So that's the one thing, lack of clarity on what they want. The second thing is that they don't believe that they can achieve that goal that they set. They say they want it, but there's a part of them inside that just doesn't believe that. And then there's the fact that they can't see it, hear it, or feel it. And our unconscious mind thinks in pictures, sounds, and feelings. So if you can't see something for yourself or be able to hear it or feel it, then it works against you in achieving that goal. And then the other thing that I see is that Uh, they're not aligned with their values. And our values is one of our biggest um, motivators. Values drive your behavior. So if the goals that you're setting aren't aligned with what you value most, that's where people have to use so much willpower and effort and they tire out and then tend to just kind of give up or push it aside for a later time. If we're not clear on what we want, we don't believe we can achieve it, we can't feel the success, and we're not aligned with our values, then how do we go about creating compelling goals? Yeah, so this is what I love to help people with. So one of the things, first and foremost, is to reframe goals. Goals for many seem out of reach. You know, when I say the word goals, I personally picture a mountain. It's high, it's just like hard to get to the top. So thinking of a goal as an outcome feels very different, right? We always have outcomes in life. So it's almost like it's a guarantee that you're going to have an outcome. The question is, are you going to have the outcome you want or the outcome you don't want? So right there, you're starting yourself off where it just feels a lot more achievable. The second thing that you can do is to, as you're creating that outcome that you want, to include sensory language. Again, our unconscious mind thinks in pictures, sounds, and feelings. So use words that just make it really compelling. What do you see for yourself? What are some of the sounds that you're hearing? What are you feeling? And that brings me right into the act as if now. Act as if it's it's happening right now. The cool thing is, is that your unconscious mind doesn't know the difference between what's real and what's imagined. This is how we can read a book and we can be so into the book, the characters are watching a show on Netflix and you have all these feelings. But in reality, when it's a you think about the book, it's just ink on paper. And when you think about the show on Netflix, it's just characters that have memorized a script. It's not real, but your mind doesn't know the difference. So you can act as if you already have achieved that outcome. You could feel whatever it is. If you want to feel the success, if you want to feel the the pride, the joy, you can feel it right now and your mind won't know the difference. And then the other thing that you can do to create a compelling outcome is to make sure that your energy is moving toward your desired outcome. And I'll give a quick example. A lot of people are more focused away from their goals. Or let's say the goal is to lose five pounds. They're more focused on, I I don't want to feel uncomfortable in my clothes. I don't want to have to not eat those cookies, you know, whatever it is. So you're focused on what you don't want. So instead flipping it and making sure that your energy is more that you're moving toward that desired outcome. Again, it's putting your focus on what is it that you want? What do you want to see? What do you want to hear? What do you want to feel? So those are just a a few tips on how you can create compelling outcomes. Nikki, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome, Joan. We'll be right back. In 
invitation to appear on a radio show or podcast provides you with the opportunity to showcase your knowledge while promoting yourself, your products, and your business. It can elevate you as an expert, boosting your reputation, but only if you make a good impression. As a producer and radio host who has conducted more than 2,000 interviews, I have experienced all kinds of conversations. Some are great and leave the audience wanting more, while others are uninteresting, significantly diminishing the guest's appearance. In my training program, It's Your Time to Shine, I provide valuable information that will empower you to make media appearances more impactful. You work hard to get the booking, so don't waste the opportunity because of a lack of skills or preparation. To learn more about how I can help you shine like a pro, visit cyacyl.com slash media training. That's cyacyl.com slash media training. This is WNYF, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. So often, we think that grief lives only in our hearts and minds. But according to today's guest, Paul Denniston, emotions weigh us down and get stuck in our body. Through yoga, Paul teaches how we can process our grief and use it as fuel for transformative healing. Paul is the founder of Grief Yoga, a program he created with David Kessler. He's the author of the book, Healing Through Yoga, Transform Loss into Empowerment. Welcome, Paul. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Joan, for having me. Paul, you have an inspiring story of what put you on the path to the type of work you do today. Would you share a little bit about what you experienced in your life? Sure. Well, I grew up in Texas uh, in a very religious, my father was a Baptist minister, definitely grew up in an environment where sadness uh, for a boy shouldn't be expressed. It was considered an ungodly emotion, or it was considered, hey, boys don't cry, go and do something about it. Um, Or seeing how anger could get kind of suppressed and built up um, until all of a sudden it could explode, and it could be frightening to witness. So just as a a young kid growing up in Texas, uh, you know, wasn't really taught how to deal with these challenging emotions. And uh, as I moved forward in my life, a lot of the times what happened is because these emotions didn't get expressed, uh, the anger would sometimes explode and I would have moments of just bursts of anger and it would be frightening or the sadness wouldn't get expressed, which would later turn into depression. Um, I moved forward in my life uh, using drugs and alcohol to try to numb the pain um, and uh, started to say, I need to address this anxiety that I'm experiencing and going through and went into a yoga class to try to help with the anxiety. And it then became, I became present to all of the suppressed emotions that I had been holding on to and found a compassionate space within that practice, practice to begin to move with them and be with them instead of suppressing them and running away from them. For someone who is not familiar with yoga and really doesn't understand the benefits, how does doing yoga help you to navigate all of those emotions and experiences that you just expressed? Yes, I get it. And for people who are like, I am not someone who likes yoga, I totally understand. But what I understand, what yoga is, is yoga is a moving meditation, where sometimes we're we're holding postures or flowing with postures, because what we're trying to find is a mind-body connection that is used to help lift the spirit. The word of what yoga means is literally union, which is connection, um, mind, body, spirit, connection. Now, when we're coming from a place of loss, it usually means separation or disconnection, which can lead to, of course, feelings of sadness, grief. And so yoga is a way of, um, of finding that space of union. But the practice that I created wasn't really about physical flexibility. This was more a space of using movement, breath, and sound 
to find emotional liberation, where we channeled the pain and released it, but then it allowed us to connect to more empowerment and love. Paul, what happens in our body when we experience grief? Our breath becomes shallow. I think that sometimes, you know, you've heard that philosophy, it's hard to, I can't, it's hard to breathe. I can't breathe. And when we breathe deeply, we feel deeply. And so, of course, our, our breath becomes shallow. We start to constrict where maybe the loss or the trauma had such an impact that our body is, is, is trying to grasp and understand it. What can happen is, is that when things don't get expressed, they get suppressed. And so it lives within the body. Perhaps it can live within the mind, creating anxiety. Maybe you're thinking, oh, I should have done this. What if I would have done this? Or maybe it's anticipating a fear that's coming up. A lot of the times we can, it can get stuck within our throat. We might have a hard time expressing the struggle, the pain, and it can easily get stuck in the throat, which can sometimes, we, we grind our teeth at night. Um, it can, you know, in the chest space, that's where love resides, but it also is where unresolved grief can live too. Sometimes, you know, in our stomach, it's, it's hard to process challenging emotions and it can get manifested in our stomach, creating stomach pains, uh, digestive issues. Uh, it, it really, you know, in the hips, there's a lot we, we can carry within the hips. And just as the hips can create a space of, of creativity or pleasure, sometimes when we've experienced sexual trauma, it can get stuck there too. So, you know, I, I believe that we all grieve in our own unique way. And it shows up in our body in its own unique way too. I read something very interesting that you said. You said that when you want to run away and numb the pain, you lean into the discomfort. What does that mean? The pain has a message. The pain needs to be addressed. And I understand wanting to run from the pain trust me, I did for decades. And even though I felt like I was running from the pain, it wasn't until I started a practice of yoga and meditation where I was like, oh, goodness, the pain's inside of me. Oh, Lord. So the pain demands expression, The pain, but it's also important for us to be with it, to understand it, and to maybe instead of going from a place of, oh, no, what's wrong with me? Maybe it's a place of inquiry and say, oh, wait, no, what happened to me? Oh, I've been through a deep loss. I've been through something traumatic. And to find a space to become curious about that, but also a way that we can move with it, but also move through it in a space where you know, in, in the practice that I've created, it's using movement, breath, and sound to channel it outside of it. I don't want to hold on to the pain anymore. What if I could channel it in empowering ways? It's such an important point because when any of us are in pain for whatever reason, we do want to run away from it. We want to numb it. And, you know, some of us eat, some turn to alcohol, some just, you know, refuse to even acknowledge what they're feeling. And, and when we do that, we do end up in a state of dis-ease in our body. Thank you. I mean, I, I completely agree and I totally get it. I mean, who wants to be in the pain? I mean, I would want to run away from it too. Uh, trust me, I did. But I also even reflect to that essence of, you know, when buffaloes, when buffaloes that see that a storm is coming, they don't run away from the storm. They choose to actually run through the storm to minimize their time within the storm. And so um, I just want to recognize that, of course, we want to run away from the pain, but it doesn't really work. So this, is a, this particular work is about acknowledging the pain, but saying, I'm going to channel this pain. I'm going to use a fire and a power within me that starts to release it with the intention, just as the buffaloes are moving through the storm, that perhaps then it will lead to more light. Or maybe for this, it's more, uh, more gratitude, more grace, more love, more peace. That's the intention. But 
I'm a big believer in we can't bypass the pain. The pain demands expression. So channel it through that can lead us through through the storm. And I couldn't agree more. This is such a great tool because the work I do, you know, you talk about running through the storm. The work I do is from a point where my life fell apart and I didn't think I could go on. I didn't want to go on to where I am today. And and there are no truer words when you run through the storm. There is light on the other side. There, There really is. And you have to find it any way you can. And what you teach and what you help people do is such a wonderful way to get there. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I mean, I think we can all relate to moments in our life where that devastation, where it almost feels like everything has crumbled apart. And I even remember and reflect on it right even before I was creating Grief Yoga, both dealing with the the loss of my sister. Uh, I was dealing with physical pains where it was challenging to walk. There was so much that where I, I was I was dealing with, you know, my addiction and feeling like I have to release this and give this up and become uh, uh, sober. But it's amazing what can happen when you hit that place of rock bottom is it's, it also creates a space to rebuild and evolve and begin to create something that might have a little more stable ground to it. And so uh, I, I do believe that in the midst of devastation, hope lives where we can begin to rebuild and maybe create something more meaningful. Paul, who can benefit from grief yoga? People who uh, have struggle and pain in their life. And that mm-hmm. can be any from whatever that means to you. That could mean anxiety, it means fear, it means deep grief. It's anything. It's, it's, it's a transformative practice that can be done from a chair from a yoga mat, really adapting it to everybody, but saying that, uh, hey, you know, let, let, let's release some of this, this, uh, this fear, anxiety, this regret. Um, let's let it go because uh, I want to I wanna live life in a more meaningful, meaningful place. And I ask that question because I think a lot of times when people hear the word grief, they think it's just because someone has passed away, they've lost someone. But grief really has such a, you feel this emotion for such a broad range of reasons. Yeah, well, here's my thing, and I I literally created this practice at the beginning, creating a practice around grief. And then as I started to build it and grow it, it actually encompasses all of these aspects. I mean, it could include anger. We we do laughter exercises that kind of help us to tap into more joy, but also recognizing that sometimes it's a fine line between laughter and tears. Here's my thought of grief, which maybe for people with that, that say grief, that's where the pain is. But here's my reflection of what grief is. Grief is love. Grief is a reflection of love. And I can choose to not grieve in this lifetime, but then that also means that I choose not to love. And so I recognize that it's a package deal. And I also know that grief, it doesn't need a lot of time, but it does need some dedicated time. So when you start to like say, hey, I'm going to be with the sadness, I'm going to move through the anger, it can create some powerful transformation. The book is Healing Through Yoga, Transform Loss into Empowerment. If you would like to learn more about Paul and his work, you can visit griefyoga.com. Paul, in about 30 seconds or less, what's a takeaway? <laughs> you know, a takeaway is is that life is filled with so many different colors, right? It, there's so many colors to who we are. So is it possible to embody them all? Is it possible to uh, find your authentic expression in whatever way that is to find deeper connections? That's the intention of this work. How can I connect with myself in a more compassionate, deep way? How can I find deeper connections to others? and perhaps finding connection to spirit, which comes back to that space of union and yoga, finding that connection between the mind, the body, and the spirit. Paul, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. My pleasure. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Are you maddened by mail? 
crazed by credit card and charity requests, overwhelmed by special offers, inundated by bogus invitations, besieged by bills? Hi, I'm Gail Gruenberg, CPOCD, Chief Executive Organizer of Let's Get Organized, an award-winning professional organizing company serving clients who live with chronic disorganization. The number one reason people call a professional organizer is to help them manage their paper. The key to controlling it is to have a system and do a little bit every day. Here are a few of my favorite techniques for staying on top of the daily deluge. Stop paper at the door and go digital. Opt to receive bank and investment statements, bills, and receipts electronically. When the mail comes in, sort it immediately, always in the same place and near the recycling bin. Toss junk mail right away. Create a file system that works for the way you think. Have five to seven broad categories and label them with titles that will let you find what you need quickly. Read current issues of magazines and other publications when they arrive, then recycle the old ones or subscribe only to the digital version. I'm Gail Gruenberg with Let's Get Organized. Working with you on-site or virtually, we help you make space for blessings, like more time to do what you love rather than managing your papers. If you're ready to cure your paper Call us at 201-613-2733 or visit our website at lgorganized.com. Hello, doctor. Hi, business owner. Hey there, freelancer. Has COVID affected your receivables? Of course it has. And I'm sure you could probably use some professional help. A true test in choosing a top-notch debt collection agency is their recovery rate and the amount of money collected by the agency for their clients. That's a great return on investment. Also important today are the five-star Google reviews about their personnel and services. Wouldn't you hire a collection agency with 830-plus national reviews, over 70% of which are from the debtors that the agency was able to collect funds from? That's great diplomacy. May I suggest Kinnam, the diplomatic debt recovery firm? Our name comes from Kin Family, Num Numbers, Family Before Numbers, People Before Profits. This is Vito Mazza. Reach me at 800 850 5110. Are you aware that by incorporating sound therapy into your daily lives, you can actually improve your immune system? Is the music you listen to on a regular basis encouraging a healthy immune response? And did you know that research has proven that soothing sounds can shift our moods, which has a direct effect on our health? Hi, this is Roxanne D'Angelo. I am a certified Reiki master. Japanese researcher Dr. Emoto has proven over and over again through experimentation that the sounds we listen to, the words we speak, and even our own thoughts have the ability to change the molecular structure within our bodies. Water is a perfect conductor for sound, and since our bodies are made mostly of water, the sounds we hear are carried throughout our bodies to our cells, either creating a healthy or destructive response on a cellular level. Here are some suggestions for using sound for encouraging a healthy immune response. Find time each day to listen to soothing sounds and feel the relaxation settle within. Be mindful of the words you speak. Peaceful and kind words carry a high vibration, encouraging a healthy immune response. And as part of your daily practice, incorporate playing singing bowls, drumming, or any other type of instrument that brings you joy, as this will also help enhance your health. If you would like more information, you can reach me on the web at crystalclearenergies.com. Dr. Rojini Raj, a board-certified gastroenterologist and television personality. Dr. Raj is here today to discuss digestive discomfort. Welcome, Dr. Raj. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Happy to be here. So, Doctor, digestive discomfort can be the result of more than just overeating. It may be caused by a condition called EPI or exocrine pancreatic insufficiency. Tell us about EPI. Sure. So EPI stands for exocrine pancreatic insufficiency, as you just said, and that's a condition where your pancreas is not producing enough digestive enzymes to digest your food properly. So what you may experience in that case are symptoms such as abdominal pain, bloating, 
diarrhea or unexplained weight loss. And the issue is many of these symptoms are also symptoms that are similar to other GI conditions. So it's really important to speak to your doctor if you're experiencing these symptoms frequently or on a recurring basis to make sure you get the proper diagnosis and ultimately the proper treatment. And you can certainly learn more about these symptoms at identifyepi.com. Doctor, who is at greatest risk for having this? And, and how do we know when it really is more than just overeating? I mean, you know what our diets are like today. So how can we tell the difference? Sure. Well, in terms of EPI, it has been associated with certain conditions like cystic fibrosis, chronic pancreatitis, which is a chronic inflammation of the pancreas, or even people who've had some type of pancreatic surgery can develop this condition. Uh, But in terms of how do you tell if it's just an occasional indigestion or something that needs to be investigated, it's really about listening to your body, paying attention to the frequency of the symptoms. So if it's just once in a while when you know you've kind of really overindulged, then that's probably something that happens to all of us occasionally. But if it's happening frequently, if it's recurring, if it's something that's affecting your life or your ability to enjoy your life, then it's certainly time to talk to your doctor and get to the bottom of the condition and make sure you know what it is so you can treat it appropriately. Can EPI be dangerous if left undiagnosed? Well, it certainly can affect your ability to absorb the nutrients that you need. It can lead to vitamin deficiencies, um, the weight loss as well It can be concerning, and it can be associated with some other very serious underlying conditions. We talked about cystic fibrosis and chronic pancreatitis, so it's certainly not something that you want to leave undiagnosed. Um, you want to get to the bottom of it and treat it. And where can our listeners go to get more information? IdentifyEPI.com has a lot more information about the condition and the symptoms associated with it. Dr. Raj, thank you so much for being here with us and for bringing this condition to our attention. Again, IdentifyEPI.com is a wonderful source for more resources. Thank you for being here. Thank you very much. joining us, I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.